thank you so much for having me, Nanad. I'm I'm really honored to be with you guys and uh, really to um, to just share my heart. Okay, I'm not just you know I'm not a I'm not a theologian. I'm more you know I'm I'm quite mystical actually. But the thing is, you know, I I love the Lord very much. I came to know the Lord in 1973 at the age of 20. Yesterday I was 68 years old, and um, I followed the Lord very much. I trained as an engineer and uh, became very specific. As an engineer, you learn to be very specific. I became a design engineer and uh, I moved around a lot with my dad. I had a great relationship with my dad. And my, by the way, my dad designed the gates of the Waitarna Dam. And uh, I would visit the dam and visit the gates, the huge gates. And they move on bearings that are probably, those, those ball bearings are probably... Uh, 18 or 20 inches, some 24 inches in diameter. Even three men cannot carry it. But, um, you know, that's where I went right under the dam. And he taught me some principles there. I used to live with him in the engineer's bungalow. And, um, you know, I, I followed him. He, he, he had three engineering degrees together. I've never known anybody who's got a mechanical, electrical, and a civil engineering degree. And he taught me that when you study, you should study. And that really hit me. So when I joined the ministry, I began to study. And one of the things I was challenged was to study the Bible. And um, in the last uh, uh, 40 years, or 42 years in the ministry, one of the things I've done is study. Amen. I still study. And uh, I believe that um, you know, making disciples is a key that Jesus taught us to do. And um, you know, I just want to share my heart with you. And uh, I think Nanad gave away something. He said, you know, he, he loves to talk on the heart and I will start to talk about our heart, you know, because that, that's from where discipleship comes from. Being a true disciple is what I want to share with you. And I want to share with my heart. There are some little jotted points that I have, you know, made for very specially for this meeting. And I, I just want to share this with you, you know, uh, to a large scale. Amen. To a large scale. What kind of discipleship or what kind of a disciple you become depends on you. You may have the best teacher. Judas had the best teacher. But we find out in the end where his discipleship went. People in the New Testament had best teachers like Paul and Peter. But where the discipleship went was totally, absolutely up to them. And I believe that uh, you can sit in the best of meetings. You can listen to the best of the men of God. You can go to the best of conferences. But, this, you know, being a disciple, following a clear pattern of discipleship that goes from uh, line upon line and precept upon precept and, uh, you know, principle upon principle is dependent totally on you. The impartation is given to you. The abilities are residing in you. And what God has worked in you, if you do not work it out yourself, you will become like the Dead Sea. Nothing can live inside. And so I sense very, very strongly uh, that's very important. So the deciding factor, the main deciding factor, amen, the speed of your discipleship, the largeness of your discipleship 
the influence of your discipleship, the depth of growth and the ability for you to communicate and speak and impart and teach and, and lifestyle, everything is dependent on you. Amen. It doesn't depend on what Bible college you go to. Bible college only tells you and prepares you. After Bible college, the ministry starts. You see, when my son and son-in-law and daughter and, you know, the whole gang of people joined our church and they wanted to come into ministry, uh, for three to four years, I did nothing. I did not even allow them to minister, but to watch their discipleship. Uh-huh, Nilad knows that. He's smiling. I, you know, Sana, my son was frustrated. He said, Dad, what? I said, don't worry. I know what I'm doing. And because you're my son, it will be the hardest for you. But when the discipleship was proven, when certain truths and values and uh, instances came out during the times of pressure, that they were, I put them under pressure. Man. Nothing works good without pressure. Only when under pressure, your true testing comes out. And whether you're an Elijah or an Elijah or you're a David or you're a Timothy or whether whoever you are, when God puts pressure on you, amen, just like our, uh, you know, uh, uh, traffic signals, when there is pressure, okay, then the real true discipleship comes out when you're driving. Here in Bombay, it is the driving. I don't know what it is, Pune. But Pune, you have more bikes than cars. So it's, it's probably... That is there. So you decide where you want to go. But the you know the the great um, the great teachings inside of you that are deposited there by any man of God. And I I would say fathers who are really looking after you and mentoring you or mentors whatever you call them. That is already there. It resides there. It's imparted there. It's given to you. Now, how you use it, the outflow of it is very important. And I've been right under the Vaitarna Dam. My dad designed the whole thing and I used to spend hours with him there. And, uh, you know, the engineering genius that was that that works the gates and uh, understanding the water pressures and when gates go up and go down and how it is controlled and what switches are there, it's, it's, a, it's a massive engineering uh, feat. My dad, you know, concepted and designed the whole thing. And I spent hours with him as he stood there with electrical stuff and mechanical stuff and civil stuff. And I would imagine what was going on in his head. But he taught me. He taught me not design, but he taught me principles. And I thank God for a father who you know, imparted. He would give me magazines to read. He would give me stuff to do. He would give me, you know, he would ask me questions. And when we were driving from Waitarna to Bombay, Bombay to Waitarna, you know, during my holidays, he would take me there. I would stay with him in the engineering bungalow. And I've had these, these cherished moments to have an impartation and those principles never left me. Now, the second thing I want to say is your future depends on the quality. This is very important, what I'm saying to you. Your future depends on the quality. Mm, quality, listen to me. Listen to the words I'm choosing. Your future depends on the quality and the outcome 
of your heart. What kind of heart you receive from your mentor or your trainer or your spiritual father. I prefer to call them fathers. That quality, listen, that quality, that outcome, amen, it starts from the heart. So let me talk about the heart a bit. Let's look at the, I, I want to look at two definitions of heart. One is the Hebrew definition and one is the Greek definition because that's where the Bible uh, has its foundations in. And as a student of both the, the Hebrew and the Greek language, you know, I am I'm very particular uh, for these words and the joining of words and how words are made and the whole etymology of this, these words and why are they so particularly put in the scriptures and why they are translated such is, 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 is a great impartation to understand the mindset of the writer, not only the mindset of the writer, but what is he trying to imply as he is communicating in writing from his own heart. Amen. So basically, discipleship is a heart-to-heart -heart process. It's not book-to-book. -book. It's not experience-to-experience. -experience. It's not testimony-to-testimony. -testimony. It is heart-to-heart. -heart. Now, to the Western mind, which we are, we are very well, you know, we are very well uh, instigated by a Western mind. The heart means something be beyond the physical organ. Okay, you can say, I love you with all my heart. One fellow said to me, well, heart is not what heart you're talking. Heart is only my pump. It's like a pump. So I said, go to your wife and tell her I love you with all my pump. You know, let's see what she says. But the thing is, the Western mind looks at the heart as emotions, feelings, you know. And uh, we, we talk about love, we sing about love, we write poems about love that comes out from our heart. Man. But to the Hebrew mind, now the Hebrew mind is a different mind. And that's why the Old Testament, the, 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 the quality of language and the supernatural ability of the spirit to to influence us with this language is so important. The Hebrew word for heart is labab, L-A-B-A-B, labab. Um, perhaps that is the sound that uh, the doctors listen to when they put the stethoscope there. They, they listen to those two very clear beats, labab. I don't know. I'm just saying this. Or lub dub or whatever that. But the thing is, it means labab, and labab means it encompasses the person's spirituality, his emotions, his mental life, his physical, every faculty of his life is surrounded by his heart. Amen. In actuality, for the Hebrew mind, the heart is the person. How he communicates, how he walks, how he lives, how he deals with his children, how he deals with, you know, the Hebrew word for heart, it means that which is hidden in the innermost being. Amen. That which is hidden. You can't see it. It manifests, but you can't really see it. 
And the Bible uses some great words. It uses words like in the heart of the sea, in the heart of the tree, uh, 2 Samuel 18, 14, you know, in the heart of the earth, Jesus quotes that in Matthew 12. So that means you can't see it, but it's there. Amen. So in extension, the word in Hebrew really means the seat of the man's collective energies and his focuses. That means all that he will ever do in his life, all that he ever is in his life is dependent on his heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Now let's go to the Greek. Now the, the Greek is a very, I mean, we are familiar with some of it because our medical terminology, the, the Greek word for heart is cardia. K-A-R-D-I-A. That's why we have the word cardiac. Mm. Now the Greek also says, it's the center of spiritual and physical life. That's what the Greek meaning is. And it is there because the Greeks were great thinkers. The, they said that you actually thought with your heart and understood with your mind and revealed it with your mouth. That, that was the Greek process of thinking. Those, the schools of Greek you know, were different. So it basically what you said with your mouth they judged your mind, and from your mind, they would judge your heart. They would work backwards. That's, that's what they did. So in the Greek understanding, the heart is the core. It's, it's the core. That's why we talk about today, you know, companies take that thing. What are your core values? You know what they're saying, actually? What is in your heart? You know, they're not using those terms. They're, they're, they're taking it from the scriptures. You see, when, you, when people ask, you know, what is your core values? That why do you use that word? Just say what's in your heart. Amen. Correct. So this is this is very important. And from the heart, now listen, this is very important. From the heart flows your character. From the heart flows your decisions, your desires, your passions. You know, all, all the person you will ever come out comes out from the heart. So Discipleship is when the disciple is revealing his heart to the disciple who will reveal his own heart to others. That's what Paul writes to Timothy. Amen. So it, to be a true disciple is to be not only a man of the heart, but to receive the heart of God. Hallelujah. Amen. When you receive God's heart from a man who has, David was called man after God's own heart. Now, how many mistakes he made? One place he acted like a blind man. One place he told lies. Then from Bath to Bathsheba he went. Correct. He had no business looking over the terrace. But he was more interested in her. Then he did a murder and all that. But, you know, in the end, when he repented and the prophet came and see, God gives us a chance to change our hearts. That's why in the New Testament, people like evangelists like Billy Graham and everything said, give God, your heart, surrender your heart. That's the first time I heard it in 1973. I heard the word, give your heart to the Lord. Whoa. Now, I understood that meaning because I, you know, my heart was on drugs. My heart was on 
heavy metal music. My heart wasn't, you know, wasn't wasn't girls. My heart was on different things. And as a family, my grandfather owned twenty six taxis. I was I was repairing cars by the age of thirteen. So the thing is, you see, why is the heart so important? Let me ask you something. To be a true disciple, in all these years, as I'm ministering, last forty five years of ministry, traveled all over the world. Amen. I worked for thirty four years with the tribals in Gujarat. I worked with about six or seven tribes. I've eaten red ants and bakar roti. Recently, last year, I was bitten by the most poisonous scorpion, the red scorpion of Gujarat. Very beautiful, it is, man. And I suggest that every full-time worker should be bitten by one scorpion at least once in his life, <laughs> because the pain is so intense; it really makes your life. But the thing is this: I want you to know something. The heart is the most bodily organ that you have, and God only gives you one heart. You got two eyes. Thank God we don't have two mouths, but we have only one heart. And that heart is very, very important. Now, I just want to, by way of example, just challenge you because uh, uh, how long I have, Nenad? Because I can uh, go on talking. You have to stop. I'm a village guy. I I I I've done 40 years in a village. 14 years we did full-time village work. I slept and ate on a mat in a village. So I'm uh, used to sleeping four hours, five hours a time. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Pastor, we can go on till about uh, uh, yeah another 25 minutes. Okay, when you know, just move your finger. I mean, I know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we move by signs and wonders. <laughs> Hallelujah! When I was preaching in church, my wife would sit at the back, and she would feed the babies, and then she would do a lot of signs at the back, and I would stand in front and wonder. So we had a ministry of signs and wonders for a long time, and the miracle was people came back the next Sunday. Amen. Well, the physical heart. is located approximately in the center of your physical body that means in the center of all your emotions and your spirituality and who you are is your heart amen you will always reveal your heart you can't hide that amen every physical heart <laughs> you know i i just took some things off the net every physical heart is the size of your clenched fist the size of your clenched fist fist is basically the size of your heart man man hallelujah every disciples works are as big as his hands amen every disciples work is as big as you can't grow more than that you can't do more than that as much as god has given you that much you can do don't try to be pilgrim paul yonge cho don't try to be like those people when you don't have the capacity paul yonge cho said to you know his people pilgrim was eating steak and i was eating rice and i was trying to compete with him there's a lot of difference the heart is you know 
consists of and it 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 it, it, it you know the different nutrients in the blood is fed in the heart and it's given out of the heart the heart is an input and an output device as an engineer that's how i think it's a device of input and output hallelujah so in a disciple what he receives in his heart what he understands in his heart that only he will speak because the bible says the mouth speaks from the abundance of the heart so whether the fellow is talking nonsense in two minutes you can find out give some person to talk and two minutes you know whether this fellow's heart is in the right place or it is shifted somewhere else in his body man very important so this input output is very reception release reception release all that's why it's so important for you to study the word because the only reception to you as a disciple is what you study from god's word and what is revealed to you not that just by your father or your teacher or your mentor but what is given to you in those quiet moments from god you will never ever forget it in your life and your character your outcome your giftings and all the personality you will ever have comes from your heart amen very important now another thing the heart does i i like this it takes impure blood it purifies i don't know how it does it but it purifies the blood and it gives it out amen hallelujah and even when you listen to junk from the world <clears throat> you have a filtration system inside of you every disciple is sovereignly given from god a filtration system that what he listens to you know it is called discernment amen you discern from the heart not from your mind and as a disciple the ability of discernment that you have is the ability you can dissipate amen very very important my brothers and sisters another thing that is so beautiful of the heart you know you don't realize that your heart is beating only when you're in trouble hmm the other day somebody was having a problem said pastor my heart is beating so fast i said sit down have a cup of tea you don't realize otherwise nobody the heart is automatic it is destined by god to work that way and ever since it was created till the time you die your heart is constantly working this is who a disciple is he has a constantly working heart automatically without a conscious effort amen so your discipleship is not a conscious effort i have to be a disciple i have to be a disciple no i have to be a disciple no it's a it's it's just a natural living in a supernatural realm oh i can talk so much about that amen hallelujah now i'll tell you something also you know we live in a world of terrible stress i was uh, taken to the hospital about 4 5 days back or 3 3 3 4 days back and the doctor told me i have you got any stress 
I says, I have a mistress who is my wife. <laughs> Sometimes I get into distress. But stress ka baat mat bolo yaar. She says, how's your heart? I said, I don't have it. My wife has stolen it. But let me say something. The physical heart is more prone to disease through stress. And if a disciple takes in a lot of junk, when you're exposed to junk in the office, junk at work, junk with your friends, junk at the pub, junk at the parties, junk, what is happening? You're distressing your heart, just like your, your body's taking in junk food, the outcome is very poor. You're, you're giving junk to your heart. And when you do that, you're prone. So the outcome is affected. The last thing I want to say, heart is basically inherited from parents. And that's why if you have a good father, a good spiritual tested tried father, he will keep your heart in good condition. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why the Bible says, uh -huh, Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23, King James Version. I like King James because Paul uses King James. So he says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it comes the issues of life. Hallelujah. And I can, I can go on talking about heart, you know. And uh, I've, <laughs> I just opened my notes, you know, I just opened my notes and, you know, and I just printed it out. And I found that I had written down nearly a hundred qualities of the heart from the Bible. You know, a grieved heart, a willing heart, a stirred heart, a wise heart, another heart, a perfect heart, a tender heart, a sorrowful heart, a faithful heart, a soft I mean, I could go on. Amen. Those are the positive things. There are another negative things, an evil heart, a hardened heart like Pharaoh, a deceived heart, a non-perceiving heart, a proud heart, a presumptuous heart. Every come, everything comes from the heart, man. Amen. That's why study is very important. Hmm. That's why Paul writes to, to uh, you know, I like what he says in 1 Corinthians. You see, the Corinthian church was a very interesting church. <laughs> it was just like a church in Pune. Okay. They had all the, all the problems. You know, sometimes my, uh, my wife and I would pray uh, sometimes in our morning prayer and said, Lord, just bring one family who is okay. Bring only one family to us who is okay. Because everybody has so many problems, we can't even remember them. But bring one family that is okay. Because, you know what? Very important. And that's how I learned. I learned from Paul a lot. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 4.15 he talks to this beautiful church. Corinthian church was gifted. I mean, they had musicians, they had singers, they had gifted people. They had also top level prostitutes. They had, they had pimps and they had all kinds of people there. Every part of society was in the Corinthian church. Business people, everything. 
And Paul writes and he says to them, he says, listen, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, hmm, you have not many fathers. That's why a true disciple is a true son of the father. Amen. And that is what is needed in the church today. You know, I'm sorry to say this, but I want to challenge the, you know, this generation that we are living now in a performance world, sub-performance. How I play, how I look, you know. Aha. When I was growing up, if my jeans tore, my father would tell me to throw it out, get another one. Today, now we are going to buy torn jeans, which are more costly than normal jeans. I mean, the, the whole world has switched around. Nowadays, you know, uh, I remember as an engineer, you know, I would, I would, I would, I would interview some guys and they would sit in front of me and if the fellow hadn't shaved, he would not get the job. You know why? Because if he has no time to shave for an interview, he has no right to sit in front of me. But today we have that evening growth and afternoon growth and all this. And so we, you know, we have these different growths and we think we look like Hollywood and Bollywood. Then there is Tollywood also come. How many woods are there? We don't know, but we are lost in the woods actually. That's the truth. I don't know if you understand the meaning of Hollywood. Holly was the, was the stick the magicians used. It was made out of the holly tree branch. And Hollywood means when the magician waved the wand, you're carried into a different dimension. Amen. That is the meaning of Hollywood. And the director, the producer, and the film would now, for those next two hours, would take you in a different dimension. And it was, whether it's fantasy or whatever it is, they would take you to, now this is what has happened to our society. We are now living under that wand and everywhere we go, that wand is there. From wand, we become wandering people. We don't know where we are going. That is true, isn't it? So my challenge to you is you want to be a good disciple, get a good father. Somebody to speak into somebody in life who can tell you, please shut up. Somebody in life, because we have become very, uh, uh, we have become very opinionated. We have opinions on everything. We know so much, but we, by the stuff that we talk, we all display our idiosity. That is true. May God keep, you know, uh, I think it's Psalm 46 that says, be still and know that you are Lord. The more I am still, the more I can know that he is my God. And I pray, you know, that's what Jesus did. You see, listen to me. Jesus, <clears throat> he only was with them for three and a half years after he said, I'm going away. That also Peter said, you can't go. I will see that you don't go. He said, get thee behind me, Satan, because you don't know my plan. And then he said to them, I'm going to die. They said, hey, kya hai, right? Then he said, no, third day I'll rise again. He said, nobody has ever said that. But when all that happened, then they became disciples. When the Holy Spirit fell on them, he said, don't go till you receive the gift of the Father. I am going 
to my father and I will send you, amen, another comfort. In the Greek it is alos pneumatikos. It really means I am sending you somebody who will talk like me, who will be like me, who will speak like me, who will teach like me. In fact, he will be me, but you can't see him. But when on Acts chapter 2, Peter stood up and he preached that sermon and thousands were saved. That's the early, you know, blessing of the church. It became a discipling church. And today, if a church is not being discipled, you're in very damaging waters. Now, I'll say something else. Please listen to me because I'm going to <clears throat> my second point. This was, oh, sorry, this was only my first point. If people are not willing to be discipled by you in running the church for last 40 some plus years, I say keep the back door wider than the front door. People must have freedom to go. Don't tie them up. Because if they are not willing to be discipled, they will become you know, a weight to you, you won't be able to do anything. And we have this Indian understanding, sab ka suno apna karo. Have you heard that before? That's very normal in the in most of the churches. Sab ka suno apna karo. And we have to change. I'll just take one man. His name is Elisha. Just one man, a young guy. He was a prophet in the northern kingdom that by the time Israel had been divided, you know, the northern kingdom were 10 uh, tribes and the southern kingdom was Judah and Benjamin. And, uh, you know, he was the successor of Elijah. And Elijah took him through development trainings. Amen. He became a disciple. In fact, it is said that Elisha was the one who washed the hands of Elijah. Wow, that means he became a servant. You know, we don't have this servant attitude anymore in our churches. Let me say to you, I'm, I'm, I will be preaching for my Pastor Joseph's uh, 50th wedding anniversary on, on, on Tuesday. And he told me, he said, Willie, I want you to preach the word. I remember traveling with him. I remember polishing his shoes, washing his clothes, ironing his shirt and trousers for getting ready for meetings. I would carry his suitcases, his Bibles. I would hold his hand and cross the road for him. I served him. And if he told me, Willie, I like some fish, I would go buy the fish and come home to his house and fry it and give it to him. I served him. At one time, he, he, he was so sick. At one time, he was living in the same room in the hotel. And, you know, he, he, was, he had loose motions. And he was, you know, so sick, he messed his pants. I washed his pajamas. You see, you cannot be a disciple until you have been discipled properly. 
This man is my father. He's in his mid eighties. It doesn't matter. I'm no longer with the church and whatever. That is not the issue. The issue is what he taught me on becoming a disciple and what I now teach others. Serve. A man's got to serve. Jesus taught his disciples to serve. In the end, he took a towel and a bowl and water and a mug and he washed their feet. Mm. You know something? When we announced washing of feet one day in the church, everybody went and cut their toenails. Oh yeah, as a pastor, we notice a lot of things. Now, when Elisha received the mantle, the mantle became double. Let me tell you something. Whenever there is an impartation from one to another, there's a doubling. And then from another to a doubling. So this anointing begins to double and double and double and double every time it's imparted. That is the seed and the fruit of anointing. You take one seed and somebody said any fool can count the seeds in a lime. But only God knows how many limes in a seed. The anointing that you carry today. If you have really been imparted to from the things of God to be a disciple. That's why Jesus said you can do Better things than me, you know, more things than me you can do. But we are not. Hmm? When a four-year-old child died in our church, at a picnic that we were in, got drowned. We surrounded that little fellow with the intercessors. They had just come back from the doctor. He was dead over three to four hours. We knelt down on the ground. They were Hindus. We prayed. The child got up. You could have, you could, you know, the, the whole atmosphere was palpable. To see a dead child for four hours where the doctors have said, take him away, he's dead. But only God can do that. I want to challenge you. Let me say something to you. I have been roaming in Gujarat amongst the tribals for 34 years. I have seen 19 dead people raised. It won't come on the internet, by the way. I have seen ordinary farmers with calloused hands, lift up their dead children and get them alive in a meeting. What is wrong with our discipleship? Why cannot we produce the seed that God has given inside of us? That is where the test of true disciple is. And if you want to be a true disciple, birth some Elishas, birth Guys who can go beyond you and are far bigger than you.
you know, we are trying to pull everybody so we can be on top and those fellows will know that I'm the super master of the church. No. I want to give you the example of my son. My son carries my DNA. He carries my genetics. And every time I pray for my son, I said, God, may you give him more than a thousand times of what I have seen, what I've heard and what I have become. May you enlarge him. He is a better musician than me. He's a better sounder, uh, you know, instructor than a sound technologist than me. He knows, he knows much more than me. He's my son. But I want to see him reach beyond where I have reached as a true father. And I want to challenge you. If you are discipling somebody, take them, bring them up to where you are and then release them to where God can take them. That's what Jesus did. Hallelujah. And you see, I, I can't tell everything because there's hardly any time, but that from Gilgal to, you know, he traveled, he traveled and you see the travel. He did not, a, a good, a good disciple will follow the disciple, won't leave. He doesn't say, I'm spending the evening with my girlfriend today. Please release me. His priorities changed. A good disciple is persistent. He reads his Bible. You know, I, I want to say this to you. I have walked with Jesus 47 years. Amen. I don't boast about it, but I say this. In these 47 years, I have learned to get up at 4.30 in the morning and seek God alone. Alone, alone. This is my room. This is my study. I am here left alone. Nobody bothers me. For hours. There needs to be a persistence. Show me your persistence. Or we go from mood swing to mood swing. That's why, you know, our discipleship is very weak. Ask God humbly. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I come down from heaven and heal their land. What is the land? The land is first of all where I am existing. Amen. Hmm. Spiritual principles are very important. Oh, Father, I just pray that we would be able to understand the heart of the leader, understand the preparation of a leader, Understand the principles of, 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 of discipleship, the preparation of disciples are prepared. And, you know, as an engineer, I worked with, with metals. And, uh, you know, when you uh, a metal has to get ready in the, in the furnace, it has to read, it has to reach. I, I, I worked with EN materials, which are hardened materials. And to get them case hardened and everything ready for the grinder, it has to reach 3000 degrees centigrade. You can't take out anything until it is 3,000. You take it out before 3,000, it goes on the load, it gets brittle, it'll break. Destroy the whole machine. And we are wanting to do quick leadership. Everything fast food, fast cars, fast girls, fast leadership. 
Everything is fast. Only thing we forget to fast. <laughs> oh, I'm very open with, uh, with talking to people. But I want to say something. You grow consistently when you grow slowly. You grow carefully. And God, one, God has to deal with a past to put a new future. If I don't deal with some past, I cannot receive the new future because the new future will come on a brittle past. And when the past is brittle, it will collapse when the pressures come. Be careful. Let me close with this. Some closing thoughts. I really, I really believe. You want to be a disciple? There has to be a divine call. You have to be called. Remember that verse? Many are called. Uh -huh. Few are chosen. I would say many are called, few are frozen. Because God rejects false disciples. He rejected false disciples. Look at the Bible. I mean, I'm, I'm just making some closing points. If you are not willing to be a proper disciple, if you are not willing to go through the process of the wilderness, through the process of the giants, through the process of the warfare, through the process of the Canaanites and the Perizzites and all the Zites and Mites and Tites and all that, if you're not willing to go through those processes, if you're not willing to break, if you're not willing to be, to be broken man, God cannot do anything with you in your discipleship. And listen to me, in the church, there is no self-appointed leader. All leaders are appointed by God. The man of God may be there. He may lay his hands on you. And if he's got extra hands, that also he'll lay on you. But the thing is this. The truth is this. A, 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 a disciple is called and made from God because he has to rise to the occasion of becoming a leader himself and discipling others himself. Korah in the scriptures was a self-appointed leader. He says, Korn pastor banaya baba. khud pastor. One guy, I, I met him the other day and, and on his scooter, on his scooter, he'd written bishop. So I said, when you begin the, the scooter's name is bishop or you're the bishop? He said, no, I'm the bishop. I said, where you begin? Who? He said, God appointed me. I said, yeah. Wow. And which ministry you're working for? My ministry, God called me. Very good. Are you accountable to somebody? To God. Very easy. Are you responsible to God? Can anybody correct you? For what? I'm like God. Perfect. God bless you, sir. Then there is the man-appointed leadership. That is democracy. Appointed by man. He speaks well. He dresses well. He's got charisma. You know, when he stands in front of the church, his voice is like, uh, you know, Amitabh Bachchan. You know, he's amazing. He's too good, man. 
He'll be a good disciple and he'll be a good leader. Self-appointed. Who was that? Saul. Head and shoulders above every other man in Israel. And one Samuel, Samuel tells the people, Baba, you want Saul as your leader? He says, here, I've written something. He will take your sons and appoint them for himself. He will appoint many men to work his ground, to harvest his crops and to make his instruments. He will take your daughters to be confectionaries and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and olive yards and give them to his servants. Clear fascism. That's what's happening in our country. Amen. He will take the tenth of your seed and your vineyards and give it to his officers. He will work your servants. He will work your maid servants and the godliest young men and your asses. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servant. And Samuel is saying, Baba, don't have any man-made leadership. But the countries have that. And then there is the God-appointed pastors and God-appointed dumb disciples who have learned the hard way. And that was David. I leave you with this tonight. I want to challenge you. What kind of a disciple you are? You used to you don't don't tell anybody to tell you. Don't even ask your wife to tell you because she'll tell you the truth. To ask God when you pray, is my discipleship true, real? Am I going the right way? Or I'm like the elephant. They say in the village, Hati ka daant, ek khane ka, ek dikhane ka. One teeth is only for showing off, the other teeth is for eating. So are you two different personalities? Where you present yourself as a disciple in church, your language is so holy, even Gabriel stands next to you. But on Monday morning, you live your own life. It is my prayer today and I want to I want to just bless you and I want to you see gifting and ministry will come afterwards disciple comes discipleship comes first I'm speaking out of my heart I'm not speaking out of a textbook I'm speaking of all that I have learned myself I have made mistakes horrible mistakes I have learned and I speak, you know, with the, the, and I pray that God would always keep me humble so that this white hair not only shows that I've learned something, but I can impart something. Today I am challenged. And I said that before your future depends on the quality and the outcome of your own heart. May God bless you richly. Thank you, Nenad. And thank you, Zealous, for having me. I do not want to offend anyone, but I want to challenge you. And I like to bring you to the edge of the cliff and make you watch the panorama of the, of the sky and of the hills. Amen. And Pune has so many. Then I want to get quietly behind your back and push you so that you will learn to fly. Amen. God bless you richly. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Pastor, while we are in this, uh, just, just this moment, uh, 
why don't you just uh, pray for the entire community pray for the church and uh, you know if, if god is kind of putting a word on your heart for the community please uh, we want you to just speak that over us as well yes i want to say something with you it's from the book of isaiah chapter 1 and uh, i was uh, you know just uh, day before yesterday ministering i mean just uh, meditating on isaiah very much and you know i like this man because he was such a clear minded man and he brought such a clear minded message that god gave him the revelation of the messiah no other prophet had that but this man it he had a tough life many people didn't believe him they treated him bad and the book of isaiah he says this man chapter 1 the vision of the son of the, you know of Isaiah the son of Amos which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah Jotham Ahaz Hezekiah four kings the guy went through four kings all the kings were crazy man that Hezekiah was a crazy guy he was okay for some time and after that he changed now it's very difficult to be a prophet under that but the man knew his calling and he's speaking now god is saying hear o heavens and give ear for the lord has spoken i have nourished and brought up the children huh and they have rebelled against me the ox knows its owner and the ass his master's crib but israel does not know my people nor they consider that means even the animals man the animal kingdom understands authority ownership everything but the people don't understand anything and he says this is a sinful nation people are laden with iniquity the seed of evil doers children that are corruptors they have forsaken the lord have provoked the holy spirit holy one of israel unto anger they're gone away backwards I mean look at this the, the whole nation he's a prophet god told him you be a prophet very difficult to to be amongst people who don't listen to you at all you can preach and preach and preach and preach your guts out and nobody listens to you wow what a church and he says except the lord of hosts has left unto us a very small remnant was nine we should have seen been as sodom and we should have been unto like gomora that's the only thing left now what is he saying what what is this man saying is drawing a dividing line and i want to say to you zealous i love this name get a dividing line when god created adam and eve and the garden of eden he put a very clear dividing line between outside and the garden when god talked to adam and eve and told them you can eat anything except from this one tree there was a dividing line when they sinned he took them and put them on the other side of the dividing line at the time of noah when there was so much rampant abuse of authority and and everything god gave a dividing line soon the dividing line became a separating line 
You find that in the times of the prophets, in the time of David, in the time of Jeremiah, in the time of Isaiah, right down to John the Baptist, he says, repent and turn to the Lord. And then Jesus comes and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. There was a clear dividing line. And I pray for, for zealous that you would start to draw that dividing line so strongly, so strongly. That not only others would know, but you yourself would know, Lord, I cannot cross this. I dare not cross this. Because the dividing line can become a separating line. And I, I you know, I, uh, you know, Isaiah says, you know, you, you can celebrate your, you, you know, your sacrifices. You can do a lot of stuff. But he says, God is saying, I don't look at those things, man. God is not looking at our musicianship and our singing and our, in our you know, and our, and our function. In the, he's looking at the heart. And I pray, zealous, that you would be people who really have a passion for God. Forget about impressions on people. Start to impress God. Spend time with Him. Be humble. Be broken. Because God only uses broken people and broken things. Amen. Don't come to a place when Isaiah said, you know that God said, when you spread your hands before me, amen, I will hide my eyes from you. Oh, that's a dangerous place. One of the most saddest, saddest, saddest uh expressions in the Bible was Samson. Amen. When he took his head off Delilah's lap, one of those saddest sentences are written. The Holy Spirit put it there. And he did not know that the Lord had left him. May we never come to that point, beloved. This is with a burden. I am saying that to all of you. Don't come to a point where you don't know that God has left you. And I believe that's a word for the church today. It's not just for zealous. And I want to challenge you. Change the way you worship God. Change the way you pray. Change the way your dedication comes. Change the way you read your Bible. Change the way you spend time with God. Because until those principles change, the prerogatives and the power cannot come. It's not genuine. It's false. And the world is false. So, Father, we just thank you for zealous. We pray, God, that your hand would rest on each one of them. Every man, every woman, every daddy, every mommy, every grandfather, every grandmother, every, every young person, every, every child, every baby, Lord, that your hand would rest upon them and that they would begin to grasp the things of God to such an extent that they would become true disciples. That the world would know. Lord, I thank you that the New Testament world knew that those disciples were unschooled men, but they had spent time with Jesus. It's not our knowledge that we have, Father. It's our knowing and our intimacy with you. So thank you for Ninad and Julian family. Thank you, Lord, for all the, the people. Cover zealous with the true zealousness from God. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We're so glad you've been listening in. If you'd like to know more about us, follow us on Insta at Zealous Pune or visit us online at zealous.community.